right. Welcome to A Minor Detail. My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host. Uh, you can find us on the web at aminordetail.com. That is our blog. You can find me as well on blogtalkradio.com slash aminordetail. Uh, tonight, we have a special show. Um, and before I should begin the show tonight, I just want to kind of brief you a little bit about us as a show moving forward and what's going to be happening. So my faithful colleague, Eric Beasley, who is on to much bigger and better things, um, is working um, on a Frederick station. Um, it's in Thurmont. It's called Thor at Four. And, you know, I, Eric is going to be doing his show now full time. So um, you'll, you'll see that Eric will be appearing less and less on a minor detail and that's completely understandable given that he is a very talented guy with so much to, to contribute to that station. Of course, we would love to still have Eric, but um, he's going to be leaving us for now. And I'm going to twist his arm to make sure that he comes back on to a minor detail. But uh, Eric is a tremendous talent. Um, he was a fantastic co-host. And I know that he's going to still come on at times, but like I said, he's going on to bigger and better adventures. He's at, he's on terrestrial radio. Um, I'm partial to internet radio, but um, I do love I do love listening to Eric's show. So check him out. Wish him the best. Um, so that also means that he'll be writing less and less for a minor detail. But Eric will do great things, and he'll continue to give his unvarnished opinion on all things local national, statewide, and as uh, we un unwind some of the upcoming elections, I'm sure Eric will be joining our show. Plus, he has two little ones, and it's hard for him to do the show at 9 o'clock. Um, he's tired. Eric is a tired man at the end of a weekend, so I really wish him the best. He's a great man, and um, yeah, so if you see Eric or send him an email or catch up and listen to his show, more importantly. Tonight, I have a guest who will be joining me. His name is Jordan Cooper. Now, I had not met Jordan officially uh, until about three weekends ago at the Western Maryland Democratic Summit. And Jordan is the host of Public Interest Podcast. And he's going to be talking about um, his activism, um, his role in Maryland politics. And I have Jordan with me now. So I want to welcome you, Jordan, to a minor detail for the very first time. Thank you, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm glad um, you know this business well. So you obviously have a – actually, I think you have a much better understanding of podcasting as I'm a relative a relative newcomer into Maryland politics um, and podcasting and journalism. So um, I want you uh, – tonight I think we're going to unwind all of this and how you got involved, your your role in politics in Maryland, what you're up to now, and how, you know, as – we discussed in our email that you're engaging folks in your interviews with volunteerism and, and civic engagement in general, and then how this is going to change how citizens engage with the political process, both locally here in Maryland and hopefully on a more national um, stage as well. So, Jordan, I want to welcome you to the show, and let's go right into it. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about um, – who you are, what you're doing, where we can find you, and your biography. So, Jordan, the floor is yours. 
Sure. Well, I've been in Maryland politics for quite some time. I grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, fortuitously next to a former president of the Montgomery County Board of, of Education, Dr. Alan Chung. I mm-hmm. volunteered in his campaigns as a child in the late 80s and early 90s, um, later becoming a student page in the Maryland House of Delegates while in high school, and then returning after college to work in the Maryland House of Delegates as a legislative aide for Delegate Keith Haynes in West Baltimore for a few years. I'd volunteered on a dozen campaigns, and I've been an active uh, volunteer in, non, in a non-political sense, ever since 1999, um, on a nearly monthly basis, just working around the community in theaters and animal shelters, Boy Scouts, prisons, you name it. Volunteerism and public service was always something important to me. So I decided to run in 2014 for the District 16. Or there were two vacant seats in the District 16 uh, House of Delegates race. I threw my hat in the ring and knocked on about 12,000 doors, recruited a team of 80 volunteers, sent out 140,000 pieces of literature, and ultimately was unsuccessful. Um, uh, One thing that occurred to me that was quite surprising was, you know, I was looking to represent the most educated city in the United States, that being Bethesda, Maryland, where three out of four adults. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's so but the the surprising thing is in a wealthy and well-educated area where three out of four adults are uh, have a master's have a college degree or higher and half have a master's or higher. You think they'd turn out and vote. Right, Ryan? Uh, That would make logical sense to me. (laughs) But the, the surprising thing is that five out of six registered Democrats didn't vote. And in fact, only about five percent of the population was needed to win a seat in the House of Delegates. So I thought that's quite surprising. And what can we do about that? Um, So I came up with the podcast as a means of scaling uh, campaign meet and greets and and canvassing efforts to really give the population an opportunity to meet good, responsible politicians who are not covered by a virtually non-existent local press and and the rest is history. Jordan, let's talk about District 16, and um, we'll we'll get into more of your bio here in a moment. But that's look, that's a tough district. I mean, you're up against Bill Frick, who is the current majority leader, um, Ariana Kelly, who is a I, I would say w- one of the the better representatives in Montgomery County, and I and and then Mark Corman. Uh, that's that's a tough district. And when you ran, Jordan, how how Back in 2014, how old were you when you first ran? So I'm 32 now, and I launched my campaign when I was 27, and on election day I was 29. Okay, so you you decided to jump in, and then how many people in in 2014 ran in the Democratic primary? It's tough to say. Um, ultimately, there were about nine people on the or eight people on the ballot. There were a lot of people jumping in and out of the race. In 2013, there were about a dozen people in the race. Uh, you had Kevin Walling, who ended up dropping out at the last minute and running for uh, county, uh, the Central Committee instead. You had Wendy Cohen, who was potentially running but then had a family issue and decided not to run. Bonnie Casper decided not to run. Uh, Karen Cooker Keel at the last minute decided not to run. Um, you had uh, Bill Frick, who was running for attorney general for about nine months and participated <laughs> in panel debates against his own state senator, Brian Frosch, who's the current attorney general. One hour before the filing deadline, he surprised everybody in February of 2014 and decided to run for re-election for delegate. And, of course, subsequent to winning that seat, 
he became parliamentarian and then majority uh, uh, with the, his current title. Um, and uh, and then, of course, you had Ariana Kelly running for re-election, and uh, Susan Lee vacated her delegate seat to run for state Senate because Brian Frosch was running for attorney general. So originally you had two vacant seats with about a dozen people considering. At the end of the day, there was one vacant seat with eight Democrats running on June 24th, 2014. Wow. So, uh, so to be honest with you, Jordan, I'm, I'm relatively new to Montgomery County politics. In fact, I know I would say my area of expertise as I'm slowly growing in Montgomery County politics and learning about the various political alliances, the past elections, primaries. Um, and we, you know, we try to approach this show from a journalistic perspective as well. Um, I, I, I know a lot more about Western Maryland politics, you know, from Garrett, Allegheny, Washington. I grew up in Washington County, Jordan. And so I, I, I have that. And I was always operating in the framework of the Republican apparatus. But I should mention today, Jordan, I just left the Republican Party on Monday. <laughs> oh, so, why yeah. is that? Well, because if Donald Trump was leading your party as a Democrat, would you leave? <laughs> So I guess there are two things I'd like to tell your listeners right now. Um, as a political candidate, uh, I'm a very partisan, progressive, liberal Democrat. But yeah. as a podcaster, I have the greatest respect for all Americans and, in fact, human beings. I, interna- I interview international individuals like uh, Iranian parliamentarians and foreign ambassadors. I interview people in the national scene, libertarians, Republicans, very esteemed. And of course, uh, non-liberals, uh, Democrats, and then non-political people. So the important thing I try to convey with my podcast is we're all seeking to do good, make the world better, and advance the public interest. We only differ in our conceptualization of what constitutes the public interest and how to get there. So though right. as a partisan, I am ready to criticize Republicans well, and Democrats, um, as a podcaster, um, I – you know, I, I have respect for the Republican Party and individuals who seek to advance the public interest through smaller government and more local government. And that's uh, not entirely my own personal perspective, but I respect it. So uh, yeah. I'm not here to bash the Republican Party in any way. No, and I understand that. And that's that's not what I was driving at. But my the, I've had enough for a long time because I believe that the Republican Party, um, when I first joined when I believe I was 17 or 18 years old, I joined the Republican Party because I truly believe that a, a country that is um, less governed by a, a massive structure, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I support limited government. I mean, I, I support it bringing back government to the very local level. Um, and a lot of that, you know, a lot of my beliefs um, revolve around a, a more libertarian perspective um, and approach to government. Um, and I feel like in the last three or four years, the Republican Party has drifted so far away from its roots and mm-hmm. has engaged in a sort of politics that I'm just vehemently uncomfortable with, Jordan. And that's just the they're worried about winning the next elections. They're worried about eliminating people from inside of the party. Um, they've, my perspective is, is that they have become a, a closed door party. Not, it's no longer the big tent that if you're not, if, if you do not support a a hundred percent, a certain 
type of policy, let's say, for example, abortion or, um, you know, the big thing in the Republican Party used to be, you know, opposing gay marriage um, and some of these more, I guess, stringent social policies. They say, we don't want anything to do with you. They call you a rhino and they tell you, they flat out tell you, many Republicans will tell you, go join the Democrats. So sure. I'm, and, and so that to me, we're talking after, about Maryland politics, Brian. And, and, and so I want to bring this conversation. I know this is your show, but I, I and I, no, please. I'm never one to necessarily defend the Republicans, but, but uh, right now, um, the governor of Maryland is a Republican by the name of Larry Hogan, and he ran on a campaign where he sort of ignored social issues, but, uh, but gave people the impression that he was socially progressive, and he tried to construe himself as fiscally responsible and fiscally conservative. Now, whether or not he has been fiscally responsible is another matter for another discussion. Um, but the fact is that in Maryland, which is a blue state where Republican is governor, He's found a way to be within the Republican Party, and whether or not his actions have aligned with his words, he has run on a plat resonated uh, with voters and found himself with very high approval ratings based upon an idea of leaving those social issues aside, which you're right, are normally uh, very important to the Republican national platform, and he's more interested in fiscal responsibility. I'll add on to that. Um, that on the national level, when you look at the executive branch, so the presidency in the last 30 years, I would hazard to say that the federal government grew larger and spent more money under Republican President Ronald Reagan and Republican President George W. Bush than under the previous Democratic presidents, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. Well, which is to I say mean, that the Republicans have not been the most uh, interested in small government and, and less federal spending. I think it was just more interested in more military spending. Well, no, and I agree. I mean, the Republicans um, are, you know, you know, the three-legged prong of the Republican Party is national defense, social issues, and being deemed as fiscally responsible. But when we're, spilling, when we're spending billions and billions of dollars on um, war, when we're, you know, on endless wars, and when we fund the military-industrial complex, and, you know, when we're expanding Medicare, Medicare as well as other social programs, um, there's a clear mm -hmm. argument to be made. But, you know, just to, to go back very quickly, um, I feel like the Republican Party has left me. Um, I would consider myself more of a, um, a Congressman Justin Amash, maybe a Rand Paul type of Republican, um, to the mm -hmm. extent of I would even consider myself a, a Larry Hogan and John Kasich Republican. Um, I, I believe in a big tent. Um, I believe that conversations like the one we are having at this moment help I believe in having dialogue with people with whom I disagree, but not personally attacking that person's ideas, but instead helping them to understand first my position and then hearing them. I've had, Jordan, many of these conversations through podcasts and live shows um, where someone has come on to this show and has expressed an opinion of which I was opposed to before they came on, and then we had a discussion, and you know, listening to them had changed my perspective, and I think that that's what – the political dialogue in this country should more so move to. But I think we're in a position now where um, people are unwilling to listen to ideas that counter their own, um, but they, they just haven't figured out how to express them. And I'm hoping that someone like yourself, who does a fantastic podcast, and I've listened to many of your interviews, I hope that we together can change that 
that type of dialogue. And look, podcasting is part of the new media, Jordan. Wouldn't you agree? And this is um, this is something that we can do um, on a very I don't want to say cheap, but I say on a on a basis that on we don't have to spend a lot of money doing it, and we can get a, a message across to people um, that two people with disagreements can come together and talk about those disagreements and have a discussion about policy. So I want to talk 100%, about that. Go 100% ahead. I'm agree sorry. with you. I feel like uh, on a national level and sometimes on a state level, there's a win-at-all-cost mentality as if it's a zero-sum game, and even though I'm part of the Democratic Party apparatus in Montgomery County, Maryland, being a, an area coordinator for the Montgomery County Democratic Central Committee, I'm very interested in getting Democrats elected, but I don't put party first. And I feel like too many people do put party first. For me, it's about advancing the public interest. I happen to think the Democratic Party is the vehicle for advancing the public interest. But for me, the Democratic Party is a means to the end of doing what's best for people in my own community whom I'm seeking to represent in the legislature. So if you have a good idea over here, let's do it. If you have a good idea over there, let's do it. So for me, the Democratic Party is my tool, and I'm only supportive of the Democratic Party as long as I think that the the platform of the party is aligned with the interests of the people. And I'm always going to pick the people over the party, and in that sense, I don't think it's about how do we beat the Republicans as best as possible. Granted, my district is not competitive uh, in the general election, very competitive in the primary. What I, I think is it's about ideas, and there's a lot of opportunities for alignment. For instance, I've heard of, of partnerships in the past where uh, the Catholic Church, being anti-abortion, has made a coalition in Maryland with NARAL, the pro-abortion, pro-choice organization. Now, you may ask, how could that possibly be? One's socially conservative, one's socially progressive. They're diametrically opposed on the same issue. Well, what did you you find them aligned on? You found traditional, potentially Republican, and traditionally, potentially uh, Democrats aligned in getting more funding to uh, family planning. And, uh, and the use of contraceptives. And why would they be aligned? Because the more family planning and the more contraceptives you have, the fewer unwanted pregnancies you have and therefore the fewer abortions. So, it's, it's, so it would reduce the Catholic Church's goal of reducing the number of abortions, and, and it was aligned with NARAL's uh, objective of having uh, a woman choose. And so those are the sorts of intellectually – uh, logically driven, not ideologically, but logically driven arguments where you find partnerships. The important thing to remember is there are an infinite number of issues in the legislature, and I'm not an elected official, but I have worked there as staff. And the important thing to remember is um, any, any given person or organization may be an ally today and an enemy tomorrow and an ally the following day. Give it, oh, regarding what, depending upon what issues you're aligned on. So I think the message I'm trying to convey is Democrat, Republican, the important thing is to advance the public interest more than the party interest, and the party is there to serve the people, not the other way around. Well, let's talk about the public interest, and that's the name of your podcast, Public Interest Podcast, that can be found at publicinterestpodcast.com. And on your, um, on your about section of the uh, podcast website – uh, it says your vision is consists of conversations with politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the world, and your mission strives to provide a meaningful and entertaining window into the inspiration 
um, that drive and disarray of individuals, and I'm sorry, diverse array of individuals to advance the public interest. So, um, Jordan, when did you first start this podcast? And let's talk about um, the the platform that you use, because a lot of people are interested in starting their own podcast because they believe they have something valuable to say. And I say, the more the barrier, the better, the more people that yeah. get involved with um, this new media um, of podcasting, um, th- I think it more that it contributes to the conversation. There's so much content out there that we can create. Um, and I think that we're lacking here in Maryland um, of, of, of good, good podcasts. So talk about the, the technical side of how you began, what you use, mm-hmm. kind of the platform to do it, and how others can start building their own podcasts. Sure. So in October of 2016, so about seven months ago, I began this podcast. Since that time, I've uh, and I and at that time I had a full time job working for DC Medicaid. I'm now full time on the podcast. Since that time, in seven months, I've recorded 213 episodes. It's now a daily podcast with a weekly email blast. Uh, podcast episodes released uh, clearly five times a week and by theme. So you'll have a embassy week, you'll have a healthcare week, you'll have an environment week. Um, and, uh, and so the way I re- the equipment I use, yeah, it's a technical background. Um, so I use a Rico Theta S uh, 360 degree video camera. Um, I use a blue Yeti microphone attached to my iPhone. Um, or I also use tape a call app for, uh, interviews that I do over the phone. Um, I, uh, connect my, um, so I connected. So first of all, the, the, plat, the podcasts are available on about a dozen platforms. So it's available on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Blueberry, Player FM, um, uh, uh, iTunes, obviously, um, and, and Google play and, uh, uh, maybe a few others as well. Um, and so it gets pushed to so it's on FeedBurner with Blogger, which is my platform through Google. Uh, also, I have a database of backups on Archive.org, and uh, and it gets pushed out new episodes every day in a dozen platforms. It's also on the website publicinterestpodcast.com, and uh, the idea was, you know. I think that people, when I was running for office, people would say, you know, Jordan, you seem like such a nice guy. Why would you want to politics? Why do you want to be a politician? They're all terrible people. It'll corrupt you too. And, you know, that's not my experience. I know hundreds of politicians, and they're generally wonderful people who really are doing the best they can to help the public interest. But when you have the local paper, which in Montgomery, the, the dominant local paper was the Montgomery, um, which was shut down when Bezos bought the Washington Post, you don't have so much local reporting anymore. Uh, you have a few blogs. You have the Sentinel. Uh, you have Bethesda Magazine trying to fill the gaps, but not too much reporting on local politicians. And the only time politicians get in the news is when they screw up. So I said, <laughs> why not try to profile the, the overwhelming majority of politicians who are boring, going about their job, doing constituent services, being responsible, filing responsible bills, and profile them and then also provide and, and so create a more positive civil discourse and create more positive associations with politicians to combat this populist anti-establishment sentiment that swept the current uh, president into office. And at the same time, I said, well, I want public service to be more attractive, attractive and honorable to everyone. So if Sally, 
Smith is sitting out there listening and she says, oh, you know, I don't really see myself being a politician. Well, guess what? I've interviewed doctors, executive directors, nonprofits, Nobel Prize winners, a ton of people who aren't politicians, and they're also seeking to do public service. There's a million ways to advance the public interest. I'm trying to show that. And finally, I have a theory that urban areas are more progressive because you're exposed to difference more frequently than more homogenous rural areas. So I'm trying to say, well, if you're if there's the rising tide of racism or anti-Semitism or homophobia or whatever sort of hate that you have, if you listen to somebody really present their humanity on my show, somebody who's of a group you do not like, perhaps that dislike, that fear, that mistrust lessens just a little bit. And I hope through uh, that 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 uh, listeners can be acclimated to the voices of those who are different than them on my show. You know, Jordan, you've, you, you said a lot there that um, is, is meaningful to me because I, you know, I try to, to bring out the best in people through a minor detail and you're right on several fronts. So let me see if I can address this point by point. Um, when you got, I, I, I had knew that I had known about your podcast for some time and then you and I finally had the opportunity to connect at the the Democratic Summit, and I was there to to cover it, to um, to to bring about you know more knowledge of what we're trying to do with a minor detail. I started started this back in 2015, and I I was working with a group called Change Montgomery County, sort of a spinoff of Change Maryland. That's uh, Larry Hogan's political group, and um, I got started by doing this show on on another platform i mean same blog talk radio we did a live show every wednesday night from uh, nine until ten and then we featured somebody from the community and i had the opportunity to talk to uh, montgomery county teachers um we we did a show on helping people with finances um that ranged all, all sorts of community related uh activities and then we sort of <laughs> then focused on the the elections of 2016, and we highlighted a lot about what I'm interested in is the political news, the the I guess the sludge of politics on the local level, um, the process, who's running, who's in and out, um, and the day to day of of that. And then what I'm trying to do is do more of, of drift this show to um, more of a conversation about policy and basically expand what we're doing, but. Um, I've had some people tell some great stories on my show and I'm trying to bring that out. And I try to model this show. It's just having a conversation. It doesn't have to be formal. It's just us. It's, you know, really break this down. It's just with us. It's two guys sitting here talking through our blue Yeti microphones. And by the way, I have one as well. And I think they're great. And I encourage people if they're trying to start a podcast, look at the blue Yeti. This thing has served me well, Jordan, I got to tell you. Um, and it really impresses people just to, to paint a picture for your listeners. This thing is like a seven inch long, uh, metal radio microphone that when I actually, when I interviewed Kathleen Matthews in her house, the first thing who's now the chair of the Maryland democratic party, the yeah. first thing she said is, wow, looks like, looks like, uh, you're Edward Murrow here. who's a famous radio, uh, journalist from world war two. And it's really a classy-looking microphone. It's big. It's impressive. It lets people know that you're professional. Uh, and uh, I think it really sets the tone for the radio show. Oh, yeah. Um, I had researched, uh, exhaustively researched, 
what I the equipment that I needed, and I found that for me, I like the the I, I like a more of a live setting, um, and I could have produced the show and then released it as a podcast through through like SoundCloud and whatnot, and I think that's a good idea. Um, but I, you know, I, I like the live setting. People can call in the interaction, and it really doesn't cost me a whole lot of money. And you know, when I first started this podcast, um, somebody gave me a book. Uh, written by a guy by the name of Studs Terkel, and you probably have heard about him. Um, he was a oral historian. He compiled books of interviews with basically everyday people, and he did it so well, and he extrapolated so much information um, from people. And I listen to a lot of radio, not so much talk radio anymore, but I have found myself listening to podcasts that I sincerely enjoy um, I love the NPR podcasts. I love, um, I'm sure you're very familiar with um, a new organization called Crooked Media, and they develop Pod Save America, um, former Obama speechwriters. And I listen to them every time they release a new show. Um, and I, I, you know, if I'm in the car, I, I usually either have a couple, I usually have CNN on, on my XM radio. In the mornings, I love Howard Stern. Um, despite what people say about Howard Stern, he's one of the finest interviewers um, ha- that's ever been in the media world. And he brings out in people um, when he does an interview one-on-one in his studio, just he brings out so much in people. And, you know, despite the quirkiness of the show, you just have to sit down and listen to some of his interviews. But um, I found that this show, and I've spent over 100 hours now um, talking to people and releasing the show – We've had an opportunity to really have in-depth, powerful conversations that I hope will at least change the, the narrative of the conversation and be another added voice. And I think you're doing that great work, Jordan. I've seen – I've listened. You're fantastic in getting information out of people, and it's, it's, it takes a real talent to do that. And it's clearly a passion for you, and it's a passion of mine as well. So what kind of inspired you to do this? Who are your who are the people behind for your inspiration that you look to and say, wow, that person knows how to do this. And I kind of want to model myself after that. Well, first of all, thank you for the compliments. Um, in terms of who I want to model myself after, you know, uh, I. Uh, so I guess I'll, let me just do, give you a tangential story, which just gives you a little insight into who I am um, for a moment. Uh, I wanted to be a professional tennis player for seven years, and I trained really hard from about age for seven years from about sixteen to twenty fifteen to twenty one or so um from two thousand to two thousand and seven or something like that uh training three to seven hours a day really wanted to be pro. I played in college, but I never ended up being that great um I always really wanted to be the the tennis player more than the spectator and uh and so I began listening to people once I began playing seriously to learn how to improve. So I came upon the idea. I mean, I was spending 120 hours a week working on my campaign, shifting back to the politics, knocking on doors three to eight hours a day. And half the people aren't home and, and uh, a lot, and it's just a lot of work. So I figured, well, how can I scale this? Cause people aren't turning out to vote and there had never been a better door knocking then in the 2014 race in District 16, and people still didn't care. So I said, there's 120,000 people. It's physically impossible to meet all of them. So if I create, how can I, the best interaction is when a candidate meets the voter. So I said, how do I just create 
an opportunity for the candidate to meet the voter without the candidate expending effort. And that's why I came across the podcast, spend 25 minutes with me, and people can tune in at any point, 3 a.m. a year later if they want, on a Tuesday, and they can listen to these people and get a sense of who they are and then determine if they're somebody who would represent them well. So once I'm in it and I have the decision that I'm going to do it, this is something that's good to do, and I believe it will achieve the same ends that I've been working so hard to do before, then like with tennis, I start looking for, all right, how do I improve for my mentors? So I ask around, I have a friend, Rasheen Carbon, who works in PR. He's been helping me out. I sometimes reach out to Tremel Gomes, who's down in Florida. He's a political podcaster. He does uh, the Rotunda podcast. Um, I've spoken to Mo Vella, who was a uh, communications director for Al Gore and Joe Biden uh, when they were vice presidents. Uh, or some strategic uh, senior advisor. And then um, and I've, I've listened a lot to uh, how I built this on NPR with Guy Raz, and I've listened um, to uh, TED Radio Hour with, on NPR. Mm-hmm. Um, so I listened to some of those interviews, um, but really I'm more about the action than being a spectator and about doing. For me, action is the most important thing. You learn while doing. You only get better by, by practicing. Uh, I've been told my interviews have been improving over time. So I think if your listeners are thinking about getting out there and, and doing it, just do it. You know, and your mm-hmm. mentors will come to you. They'll recognize how hard you're working. People come to you and you get better advice. Oh, you know, slow down your talking or, oh, you know, um, you know, you, you, you gotta, uh, you know, try to be more humorous or don't be so serious or, don't get deep into the weeds or explain your acronyms. There's lots of different uh, structural things um, that you can do in an episode uh, to try to engage listeners more. And and so for your listeners, I'd say, if you want to do it, just do it, get out there and then uh, you'll learn how to do it along the way. Yeah. Jordan, when I first started in January of 2015, I had listened to several others do this. I had listened to other people and I, took a lot of notes, did a lot of research, and I didn't know where I wanted to take the show. And it's changed many times, the, the narratives, the format. Um, and, but I just did it. And I, I didn't know, I, you know, I planned as much as I could, but I, I just know that I enjoy intimate format, this intimate setting where two people can have a conversation. Now, I, I'd much rather do this one-on-one where we have a microphone between us and we just have a conversation. I have, I've done that um, uh, on a few occasions before. And those are the best because the, the dynamics are different because you're sitting there talking to the person and it's just a conversation. And um, you know, you, you can really get a sense of the person and their cues when to talk, when not to talk. But um, when I first started, I didn't know where I was going to take this show. Um, We made it up as, as I, Pretty much I just made it up as, as I went. And um, like I said, I did a lot of research. But, um, you know, Jordan, when you first started this, um, you, you know, you said you were you had a full time job, but now you're doing this, your public interest podcast full time. So that would lead me to ask you, how do you monetize your podcast? How do you you know, how, do you make money from this? So those are a few questions. Um the first thing is I'd say uh, it's a labor of love. No, I'm not making money from it right now. Uh, yes, it's quite possible to make a lot of money. Um, the thing I guess you got to have is faith. 
Uh, when you run for office, you make a lot of money for the campaign, but none for yourself. To run for office, I left my job. I had to move back in with my parents because I couldn't afford to pay rent without having revenues from work anymore. And I threw myself into this campaign, and I said, I'm running for something, high, a higher cause, something bigger than myself, to be part of the larger dem- noble democratic tradition, stretching back to the liberté, égalité, fraternité of the French Revolution, to the American Revolution, to the Roman Senate. I mean, I, I envision myself as part of some grand narrative. And you invest and you say, look, I I may have lost in 2014, but I'm in it for the war. And that was just a battle. So when you talk about the podcast, I really believe in what I'm doing. I believe that the most important thing America needs is is more civil discourse, more dialogue with difference. And I'm trying to do that. And I think I've been told by many mentors, follow your passion and and, and then the money will follow that. So I think I'm having some faith and some trust. Obviously, it's not the most easy decision to, uh, you know, financially just take a, take a big hit. But I think if you're passionate and you believe uh, I daily walk around with a sense of my own mortality, I'm only 32 and I'm as healthy as ever, but we have ephemeral lives. And for me, I've met, I've spent enough time with people, uh, octogenarians, septuagenarians, nonagenarians, some of whom have been on my show. And they say mm-hmm. that they were 20 years old yesterday and life flashes by. And, and nobody ever said to me, you know, the one thing I regret was when I was in my thirties, I just, I just really wish I made a few thousand dollars more uh, that month or something. No one says that. So I think what I'm trying to do is make, have the most meaningful and fulfilling life I possibly can. And for me, that's about having the, the greatest positive social impact I can on other people while I'm alive, regardless of whether uh, future generations remember that impact. And so, I'm, yes, I'm taking a financial hit, and yes, it's difficult, but I believe that I am making, I'm on the path to making the most of my life. Uh, for right. the betterment of man. And, and for me, that's a noble and fulfilling mission. No, I agree. And I'm, to be honest with you, I'm most happy when I'm sitting behind this microphone, as I'm sure you are, and when I'm having a conversation and putting a show together, um, reaching out to people, um, having, you know, the producing the show, putting together a, a list of bullet points that I want to talk about. And meeting with the person and having them come on and then do the show and then releasing the material that that it it makes me extraordinarily happy. Um, because as you mentioned, you're having a meaningful impact on the the culture and as, as well as a social impact. Um, I would love, I, I, I have a full-time job, Jordan, and I work in Rockville and every day I work with veterans, um, and seniors and, um, we work and I work in the, um, the PERS industry, which is the personal emergency, emergency medical response. And so we're a startup company. And I started with this company back in August of last year. And I wasn't really looking for a job, but I found one that I um, truly believe that I'm also meaning, uh, making a meaningful impact. Um, and, you know, this is a hobby for me, podcasting and doing these shows, talking about local politics, writing for my blog. And I, I, and I tell people this, I don't make any money from it. And they say, well, you spend so much time doing it because I love it just as you do. I, I love it. And I, I, this makes me the most happy when I'm sitting behind this microphone and having these conversations, knowing that it's not just a hobby, but I'm hopefully I'm contributing something valuable to the conversation. And I wish I could, 
you know, one of these days I'm hoping that I too can follow that dream and see where it takes me. And I know that you sound like you have so much passion to do this job. Um, keep doing it because you're, you're doing the right thing and it makes you, you know, brings you a lot of happiness. That's, you know, my parents say, well, you know, if I could go back to my, th- cause I'm 31, um, I'll be 32 in November. And if I could go back to, they said, if they go back to your thirties, find something that you love and just find it and see if you can make money from it. Um, and we both know we're not going to get rich doing this. And unless we can figure out a smart way to monetize it. Um, but well, your friends at Crooked Media, they're making tons of money. It's just a matter yeah, of name well, recognition and distribution. Well, you know, they they had something honest in that they both uh, – those those four guys, um, they all worked in the Obama White House. They have connections out the wazoo. Um, you know, they can call up anybody and, and get them on their show. And they do their show in a way that's really funny, and it's edgy, and the commentary is funny, and they curse – and it's something that our generation, instead of watching the traditional media or picking up a newspaper, two, two pieces of media that I still love doing. You know, I still mm-hmm. get my news every day from a newspaper um, as well as the Internet. We get hard copies of the Washington Post, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal sent to our house every day. And mm-hmm. I read those. But it's also – but I also get it from, you know, CNN, MSNBC, um, Sometimes Fox News. Um, I don't. <laughs> I haven't watched so much Fox lately, um, but I do find myself watching MSNBC. I love Morning Joe, um, mm-hmm. and I, uh, you know, this. But but I listen to podcasts when I'm on the on the road at the gym, and it's fun. I, I enjoy the structure. You can do. You can tune in and tune out at any time you like, um, and you know I can pause it and. Go right back into it. So let me ask you this question, Jordan. Um, during your time since October, when you first started your your podcast, what do you think the most meaningful interview you've ever had with someone? So I've had a number of high-profile individuals who I've been very lucky to speak to. Most meaningful? I mean, there are a few that come to mind. Um, there's this... Uh, there's this guy who works uh, as a global communications director at the Carlisle Group. He's a Republican. And funny enough, um, I was volunteering as a guest liberal debater for the Close-Up Foundation um, for high school students who would come into D.C. for a week at a time. Um, and I'd show up and, and I'd take an hour and a half of my time and, and I'd answer questions that the students uh, raised from the liberal perspective. And then this guy um, – would uh his name is chris ullman he would respond from the conservative side and we ended up really having a great civil discussion uh he was very pleased that unlike previous uh liberal guests who had debated against there was no name calling it was all very civil and respectful and and we ended up becoming friendly um and later i i ended up uh, and he just released a book called uh, finding your whistle because he is a good whistler and whistled in the white house i loved that interview because uh, when I interviewed him for my show, which is available now, you can listen to it online, he he just had so much love and compassion for humanity. And he goes around and he always carries um, two things in his wallet. Uh, he carries a bunch of $5 gift certificates to Starbucks, and he carries a bunch of business cards for soup kitchens in D.C. And every time he finds a homeless person, 
um, and who's begging for change, he gives him a $5 gift certificate to Starbucks so he knows that it's not going to be – it could be traded, but generally it's not going to be used for illicit things. And, uh, and, he, and he directs him to a soup kitchen to find food. And he just has so much love and compassion in his heart for others. Also, I was speaking to uh, an imam, uh, I think Talib Sharif, uh, who uh, is a chaplain over at the University of Maryland College Park. And his interest in introspection and meaning and, and his belief in God, uh, and I, I'm Jewish and I'm an atheist at the same time, but we had such a mm. wonderful loving uh, conversation. Um, I mean, there's just a ton of different, uh, uh, I guess, opportunities where I really connected with interviewees. uh, And those are the really impactful, um, I guess, uh, interviews. It's when I really learned something and formed the connection. And and, and I can go on and on. There's just a wide array. The ambassador from Chile narrowly escaped assassination in D.C. in 1976 when his uh, friend, an opposition leader to Pinochet was blown into. Um, I spoke to an, an ambassador uh, from Czech Republic who spoke about uh, being just denied rights and freedoms uh, underneath the communist regime and then undergoing the Velvet Revolution. I've spoken to people who signed the Declaration of Independence in, in different countries once they emerged from behind the Soviet bloc. Many inspirational stories. And by speaking to all these people, you really have a restored faith in humanity and you just gain access to so much history and so many stories. It's just unbelievable how much love there is out in the world, especially when, you know, with the current media, I've heard if it bleeds, it leads. And, and unfortunately, the current ethos in the mass media is bad news sells. But for me, I've been trying to focus on good news. And that's what's been having a positive impact uh, on my life by as an interviewer on my podcast. Yeah, I I yeah, I mean that's some some I have had some interviews with um some really phenomenal, interesting, engaging people and I learn a lot. And the one interview that I haven't done yet, but I I I need to. Um and I've thought about how to do it and it's going to be emotional for me because I don't know if I'm there yet, but my grandfather is 91. And he is a World War II veteran, and he's a little hard of hearing, um, and I'm not sure if all the logistics would be there, but I want to sit down with him one day with a microphone and have this conversation and have him just talk about his life, because being 91 years old, there's so much to talk about, and I think, I don't know if I'm there yet, I, I don't know if I can do that yet emotionally, because it would be hard for me. Because you know, being 91, he's clearly at the um, <laughs> at the end of his his career and his life, and um, it, it's going to be difficult. But that would be the most meaningful thing that I could do with this show is to tell other people's stories, to to give people a voice who otherwise wouldn't have, and to bring people out of the shadows um, that maybe not are that are aren't politicians, that are not doing are out in the public world every day but just everyday people um, who have a story to share. That's what we're trying to accomplish with this. And we do a lot of politics on our show, but like yours, um, I think you're, you're bringing out the voices that have gone um, unheard. So that's, that's really commendable, Jordan. I got to tell you. And I'd love for listeners to this show right now to consider something. Um, If let's say the majority of listeners will not start their own podcast and that's fine. 
What I'd encourage listeners to do right now to, to your show who are listening right now is I'd encourage listeners to have a conversation with someone in their life. Ask them, ask somebody who you ordinarily wouldn't ask, you know, what is meaningful? What, how have you made the world a better place? What, how have you advanced the public interest? And I got to tell you, everybody has a story and everyone has done something from helping someone across the street to just paying a good tip at a restaurant, whatever it is, in whatever way that you have manifested this, everyone has made the world better. And I think by taking time to really look and get to know and listen to people's stories, you can enrich your own life. And you don't have to be an interviewer on your own podcast. You can just be somebody calling up your grandpa and saying, you know, uh, we haven't really spoken about this before, but what what made your life worthwhile? What do you regret? What How have you made the world a better place? And I think those are the sorts of conversations that we need a little bit more of in life. And it doesn't take anything more than a phone call or a question. Yeah. Jordan, do you do most of your interviews in person uh, sitting next to the person or do you use Skype and record it? How, how does that work? So I prefer to do them in person, but that limits me to the Washington metropolitan area. I've driven right. down as far as James Madison's Montpelier to interview a few individuals uh, at the Constitution Center down there. But uh, I've also interviewed um, a French officer in Interpol. Uh, I've interviewed uh, a French movie director um, on Skype. I've interviewed uh, a congressman in New York by phone. So I have people from around the country who call in, and I do those episodes. And then if anyone's in the D.C. area, I try to do those in person as well. I'd say Maybe if I had to make a, a shot in the dark, I'd say 60% of my interviews are in person and 40% are by phone. Uh, it's just logistics. Most people, by definition, aren't going to live wherever I live. And right now, uh, the most important thing is just getting their voice recorded. So the, the audio quality is a little bit better when I'm in person. As you mentioned earlier, interpersonal dynamics are superior when you're able to be there in person. But not, but you know, ho- airfare and hotel rates are, are expensive, and and so it's it's logistically simpler to interview people by phone as, if they're far away. So yeah, when you considering in the future your shows, and we're uh, embarking upon a another election cycle, it feels like it just ended with. Uh, the 2016 election. Um, do you intend to do um, political discussions, people in Maryland politics? Because that's, I think we're lacking that in Montgomery County, especially now that we have lost the Gazette. And as you mentioned earlier, there's a few organizations that are attempting to fill that void. And one is um, My MC Media, Bethesda Magazine. Um, Let's see. The Washington Post, of course, they do that in their metro section. They do their, but we don't have a whole lot of hands-on actual reporting. There's some really good blogs out there, um, the, the Seven State blog, and another blog that I sorely miss at this time is um, Jonathan Sherberg's blog, uh, the Maryland Scramble. And um, I know that I think Jonathan has been ill for some time. I don't know if he's going to come. I hope he comes back. I don't know where mm-hmm. we are on that or how he's doing. Have you heard anything about his condition? Well, so I don't want to get too much into the personal details there, but I will say that Jonathan Sherberg uh, fell into a coma and was in a hospital, and his son was posting updates on Facebook. Uh, I'll leave it at yeah. that. He was hosting Maryland Scrambled. Um, and then you have David Lublin, as you mentioned, a professor at American University who 
host uh, Seventh State. You also used to have Maryland Juice with now Delegate David Moon, um, but yeah. that's more fallen by the wayside. Um, and then you have Maryland Matters, um, and then you have uh, uh, with uh, Center uh, Maryland with uh, Len Lazovic, who's also been a guest on my show. Um, and then you have uh, a new uh, endeavor uh, by Josh Kurtz and um, and uh, another and uh, Lou Peck at Bethesda Magazine. They started a new thing uh, uh, reporting on Maryland. But you're right; it's mostly just independent, assorted blogs. And yes, I am interested in reporting in Maryland. I, I'm doing a series on Democratic gubernatorial candidates coming up. Um, and releasing those episodes. So yeah, I'm Good. I'm I'm uh, I'm also uh, going to be a candidate again in District 16 for the Maryland House of Delegates because Bill Frick is running for Congress. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, let's so, um, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, I wanted I wanted to, to of course I couldn't let you off the hook without ending. Um, we're going to go until ten, um, and I can't let you off the hook without talking politics tonight because uh, we both do that well. All right. So the, the, the two big elections coming up in Maryland will be obviously the gubernatorial election and the Democratic primary. Um, and the other big election will be the sixth district about who's in and who's out, because right now right. it seems like that Congressman Delaney has some bigger plans. He, um, he could do could like a the couple rundown. Of- yeah, so he he could do a couple of different things, right? So he might run for president, he could run for governor, or he could run again for Congress. But according yeah. to all of my sources, um, Congressman Delaney is unlikely at this time to run for re-election, given the moving parts about how other candidates have jumped, uh, have have formed committees and have expressed interest. And the sixth district, mm-hmm. namely Aruna Miller, um, Majority Leader Bill Frick, Roger Ma- State Senator Roger Mano, a uh, guy by the name of Andrew Duck up in Western Maryland, mm-hmm. um, and then there's David Trone, uh, who has not decided what he's going to do, but I think he's going to wait until Congressman Delaney decides um, and makes his plans official. So. There's all of those moving parts. And then, of course, the gubernatorial uh-huh. election. We'll see who gets in and who doesn't. But I don't know. Jordan, what do you think? Do you think Bill Frick will – Sure. obviously he can't run again for um, – if he's going to run for Congress, this is a, an election year. The state house is up. Um, do, 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 so he'll – obviously he'll jump in. But Bill Frick's been running for Congress for a while, and let's not mince words here. He's been He's been running for Congress for a long time, and we all know it. So – do you think that he is the nominal frontrunner at this time, or do you think that he's just a candidate that's about to jump in? So I just want to start with a statement by former New York City Mayor Ed Koch, who said basically his whole life is a campaign, and he starts campaigning the day after an election. So when you're in politics, your whole life really is a campaign. And something I'll also have your listeners know is that there's an election in America every single day, from homeowner, homeowners associations to boards of publicly traded companies, uh, to municipal and county elections. There's an election every day in the United States. So it's always election season somewhere. In terms of Maryland in 2018, for, uh, for governor, you probably, you're going to have Ben Jealous, former, 
organizer for NAACP and for uh, yeah. Bernie Sanders. You have um, Kevin Kamenet from Baltimore County. Um, Kevin is somebody who uh, often has promised to show up uh, or to do interviews, um, and he tends to break those promises um, quite frequently. So he doesn't tend to really keep his word. I don't know how he intends to parlay that uh, lack of trust into votes. You also have Richard Baker over in uh, Prince George's County, uh, the county executive, potentially for governor. You have John Delaney. Uh, there's a lot of thoughts that Larry Hogan is going to go in strong with high popularity ratings and win re-election. There had previously been discussions about Peter Francho running for governor a few years ago, mm-hmm. but um, Peter has really positioned himself as a centrist, well aligned with Hogan, so Peter may be interested in running for governor when Hogan's two terms are up in 2022 if he yeah. does win re-election. In terms of uh, Delaney's running for president, I think that was a rumor as a joke started by Chris Matthews. Of course, next presidential election wouldn't be till 2020, so that would mean if that were to happen, that John Delaney would have to run for re-election for Congress and then run for Congress for president after that. Um, you also have, uh, let's see here, you have uh, the well, Jamie Raskin sticking in his seat, which he just won, um, and then. Uh, Oh, you also have Senator Ben Cardin, who's running for who will run for re-election, and that may be his last yeah. term. So John Delaney may want to be a U.S. senator later. Um, maybe that's a seat that Elijah Cummings may run for. Um, hmm. And then you have um, obviously the the merry-go-round with the sixth congressional. If John does vacate and run for governor, uh, those candidates you just mentioned, which would create a bunch of vacancies throughout Montgomery County, and at the same time, because of Ballot, the ballot referendum last fall in Montgomery County, you now have term limits. So you have an unprecedented majority of the council coming up as vacant. A new county executive will be elected because Ike is term limited. So that means you're going to have probably 40 people running for county council seats uh, next year. Uh, and, that's, and a lot of those individuals will be delegates and state senators, and, and they'll create even further uh, vacancies. So you're going to see a lot of turnover in the Maryland House of Delegates and the Maryland State Senate. Uh, not as much as in 2014 um, when you had uh, an open uh, gubernatorial race, but you're definitely going to see a lot of turnover, and, and it affects races all the way down the ballot. Jordan, at this time in Montgomery County, they have one person on the Republican side who is declared for county executive, and that is the uh, perennial candidate and lawyer, Robin Ficker. And Robin I, Ficker, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so Mr. Ficker is certainly a unique individual, and I'll leave it at that because I have no real love for him. Um, but as far as the dem- the real primary I see is on the Democratic side, and my prediction is whomever emerges from the Democratic par- primary will ultimately be elected the, the next county executive. And at this time right. – it looks like you have a couple different camps forming, but I see that there's going to be some serious politicking between the George Levin fall side versus the Mark Elrich. So um, don't forget do Roger Berliner. Yeah. Roger Berliner too. Um, I don't know too much about Roger Berliner, but I know that he's, he is a formidable candidate. So does so I'll just, what I, I'll give you the data. So yeah. the data says that Mark Elrich, who's an at-large representative, is the largest vote-getter um, in the last few elections, um, and he ran for, to represent a million people in the council. 
George Leventhal was the fourth uh, largest vote getter, so he came in place for a four at large candidate. Um, so Leventhal got fewer votes than Elrich. That's just not an opinion, that's just fact in the, in the 2014, 2010, uh, 2014 elections, at the very least. And then Roger Berliner represents um, District 1, which is uh, 200,000 uh, constituents, um, and only one person represents that district, which is him. So he, uh, so so, you know, you can make your own conclusions uh, about how that may parlay out into a county executive race. You also have some wild cards. You don't know what Kathleen Matthews is going to do being the chair of the Maryland Democratic Party. And, of course, David Trone is floating a few things. He's floating running for governor. He's floating running for the 6th Congressional District of Delaney Bay case. He's floating running for county executive and pulling together a slate across the county. He's already been floating that. When you have a guy with over $10 million to spend on a race. He spent $12 million in the primary to become second to Jamie Raskin, the most expensive yeah, the most race in American history. I mean, you have a guy like that, he can throw his hat into any of three rings right now, and he seems intent on in doing one of those things. He's, as you know, when we met each other, is sponsoring the Western Maryland Democratic Summit, and he's sponsored mm-hmm. a ton of other things, including the MCDCC Spring Gala. So uh, he'll be a, a wild card, and, and, and uh, he'll be an an outsider compared to uh, current elected officials who are running. So it's anyone's guess who can win, uh, but those, those are the statistics on, on all the different major candidates. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, well, Jordan, I, I won't keep you any longer. I really enjoyed this thoughtful conversation. Um, you're doing excellent work, and I would be remiss if I didn't ask all of my listeners, to, where can we find you and where can we listen to your material? Yeah, so um, I'm at publicinterestpodcast.com. Again, you can listen on any of the 12 platforms that I mentioned earlier, most most specifically you listen on iTunes, on your iPhone, but any other podcast uh, platform that you listen to, I'm on it. Um, you can also visit cooperformaryland.com and uh, cooper4md, however you interpret it. I have, have all those domains, and you learn more about my campaign, and then uh, you could um, and then my bios are on those pages. I also have revealingourhumanity.com, and that's where our jordanpcooper.com, and those will take you to a uh, communication site that I firm that I have. So any of those, be they're welcome to listen. And uh, everyone, my phone number and email are on all those websites, so anyone's welcome to contact me at any time. I'm happy to have a discussion with anyone who's interested in advancing the public interest. Well, Jordan, it was a pleasure to have you. Um, I'm glad that we ran into each other and I'm sure that um, we're going to probably bump into each other quite a few, few more times um, on the trail here as we lead up to 2018. And I wish you all the success. I wish you all the best. And I really do hope that you will come back and we can start doing this more often and having some of these conversations. Would love to do it. Thanks for having me, Ryan. All right. Thanks Jordan. And you have a great night and a great week. Thanks again. Bye-bye. All right, so Jordan Cooper of uh, Public Interest Podcast. Um, excellent. I think Jordan is a fantastic guy. Um, listen to publicinterestpodcast.com. You can find his episodes. He's doing the great work, and uh, I, more people, the merrier. So, all right, we're going to transition into what I really want to talk about on this next hour is what the hell is going on in Washington County? And I have my good friend, uh, my esteemed colleague, our um, Hellraiser-in-Chief in in Washington County, Henry House. Henry, welcome. 
Thank you, Ryan. How are you tonight? I'm I'm good. I always, you know what? I always bug Henry at the last minute, um, and I say, Henry, can you come on? And he's probably like, damn it, what? Why? You know, why? Um, but Henry, you always kind of give the straight shot. You, you you tell people what's really going on. And being that I don't live in Montgomery County, or excuse me, I don't live in Washington County anymore. You you know more than I do. Um, and I we we follow it um, on the margins here. So. Well, I don't know about that. I think you keep your ear pretty close to the rail on the, what happens in Washington County because it's uh, your your home county, so you always keep yeah. track of what what happens at home. So I, I, I love to I, say that I, I, think, I miss it, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I have days like that too, Ryan. I, I do. Um, it, you know, it's a great place to 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 raise a family, or at least it was when my kids were younger. Um, Dynamics in Washington County have changed, and you know it, it's still a conservative leaning county uh there's nothing I'm wrong wondering with that. if maybe we yeah there there's there's nothing wrong with that and i am I'm, I'm conservative uh of sometimes course. I wonder if we 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 lean a little too far to the right um and start stuffing cotton balls on our ear, not hearing what's going on in the spirit of cooperation to try to improve the community. But yeah. uh, I, I think you you reached out to me about the uh, the vacancy on the board of ed was one of the things. Yeah, that was that was the topic of conversation for the the latter half of this conversation. Um, there is a vacancy that was created when Karen Harshman was removed from the Washington County Board of Education, and you and I have talked about her removal, the process that unfolded for months at. It kicked off back in October with her Facebook post, the Dr. Phil stuff. And when you and I – it's can you believe, Henry, that we are verging on almost four years as – you know, since we were candidates for – in Washington County, the Board of Education? Um, well, actually, no, because my Facebook feed reminds me of, <laughs> oh, well, you know, you were out here knocking doors with uh, Ryan Miner on this date. <laughs> And every once in a while, I, I see a Facebook feed, and I'm reminded, well, gee, uh, that 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 was a, a really good time. It was a really good experience. Um, oh, yeah. Gave an opportunity to hear what was happening in the community and gave me a chance to get to know you a little better. So I know. And uh, I when I got to know you, you know, you became a really close, close friend to me and confidant and just somebody that uh, I really trust. And it was great because we had a lot of fun. We We met a lot of people in different areas of the community. In fact, some areas that uh, Henry, you and I have both never ventured. Well, at least I didn't. I mean, we remember when we went down to um, Dargan, you, I think murdered a turtle at one point by accident. Um, remember that you, you had murdered uh, the a turtle. turtle. The turtle didn't look both ways. <laughs> yeah. And you ran over it and we just heard crunch. And I said, and Kim was in the car with us, and she goes, what was that? <laughs> and I said, oh, I think Henry just ran over a turtle. And, you know, we're, I'm like, should we go back? And you're like, nah, it's fine. We got we got some doors to knock. <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't someone's pet. We hope not. Okay, <laughs> if, it was a pet, if it was someone's pet turtle, then they have a little bit more issues allowing the turtle to run around on a busy road. Uh <laughs> But, yeah, uh, you well, know, it wasn't like it was a dog or a cat, which I would have tried to find out who possibly was the owner of it. 
and uh, you know, definitely yeah. apologize. But thanks for bringing up those <laughs> things. Of course, I remember you 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 screaming like a a girl, like a second grader, uh, as uh, Fido decided to uh, chomp on your rear end. Yeah, he ripped my shorts pretty pretty good, and and he bit me. Remember the dog? The damn dog bit me down in South County, and I'm I'm walking up, and I'm like, okay, all right, this dog will be fine. But it wasn't fine because he tore the crap out of my like I think I don't even I think it was my left leg and I'm just like all right time to go Henry. There. Well, and then well you know yeah. you're the one running to the door then and you know in all of our defense you know I I think the dog had a sixth sense about you. <laughs> yeah. <he was> so <laughs> may, may, maybe that's why he decided to latch on. They had a Bongino sign in their front yard, so the dog really had a sixth sense about me. Well, you never know. I mean, <laughs> good good old Dan, you know, he, he ran a heck of a race there too. So Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, all right, so Karen Harshman was removed, which we think is a net positive for the community because she brought a lot of dysfunction to the board. She caused a lot of heartache, and let's be honest here, she didn't really contribute that much. And what she did contribute, it was just total uh, and abject um, misery to the lives of many. But she was fairly elected. Um, the people in Washington County decided that in 2010 and 14 that she is the, the one of the individuals that they wanted to, to, to entrust with the public education process. So she was fairly elected, and then she was fairly removed through the process. Um, justly, I believe, and I think you as well. Um, so, well, you know, I, I don't question about the fact of her removal or the actions mm-hmm. that that occurred. Um, mm-hmm. And as you said, she she won fair and square in the election. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, as a representative, she she voted based upon her conscience, and that that's you know there was you know obviously some discord among the previous uh, composure of the board, it doesn't appear to be as much uh, over the last uh, year, year with the board. So maybe things are going in, into the positive, you know, more, in a more positive direction. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Well, they have this process now that according to County law that was written back in sometime in 2006, 2007 or so, um, they have to form a committee that selects a, a school board member and the, to, to fill this vacancy on the Board of Education. And it used to be, Henry, that they would forward the names to the governor and the governor would choose. And that's how Donna Brightman uh, was chosen back, I believe, in 2006 or seven. Uh, she had because repl- Ed Forrest had resigned and she was selected by former Governor Martin O'Malley to replace that seat. Uh, a good choice, of course, and they they filled that seat, and then, of course, Donna ran and ran again, and unfortunately she came up short this past time. Um, so the law was changed um, back by the state senators, I believe Chris Shank, um, at the time, Delegate Leroy Myers. They wrote it where they would nominate a committee um, that and then the commissioners would ultimately choose that is the county commissioners in Washington County so here we are we have the committee members chosen and 
Henry, the the six. So the process works like this: the state senators for the delegation they nominate someone, and then the state delegates they nominate someone. The school system, uh, the school board that is nominates someone, and then the commissioners will nominate the chair of the committee and three other folks from I think one is from the education community. Um, or the like, like an education committee. One is from the business community, and then there's another one. Um, I I can't remember it. But the six people. It started out. Peter Bickford was first nominated by the school board. And good choice, bad choice, Henry. What are your What are your general uh, thoughts? I, about I think that? it's an excellent choice. Um, yeah. I mean, I got to know Peter a little bit uh, when he was running, because uh, he's only six months in uh, sitting on the board. Um, I think Peter is one that uh, listens with both ears, and I think he he weighs a decision. He just doesn't say, well, I'm going to vote this way regardless. I think he listens to uh, the debate and then forms his own opinion. So I think Peter's Mm -hmm. a really solid choice uh, from the board, and that's not to disparage – you know, one side or the other side of the board. I I think uh, Peter is a a fair choice, and uh, he'll represent the board of Ed well. I agree. And he was the most detached from the (laughs) the previous um, board and the nonsense. Um, So he's, you know, being a newer member, he has a lot of community ties as well. So I think this Peter's appointment was a general net positive. Now, the second person that was appointed that it came down was Tom Barry, who was a former school board president, and he was appointed by the likes of Neil Parrott, um, um, Bill Weibel. Bill Weibel, then, you know, Brent Wilson, and Mike McKay. Mike McKay. So that one I, I wrote about, that was an interesting appointment. Um, I don't think that that was the most responsible appointment. Um, he is a... Oh, he is a a real left, a real right winger. Um, he's written he's written some goofy things to the Herald Mail, and he's I don't know. I just he's a hardcore partisan Tea Party guy. Thoughts, Henry? Um, I I can't say I know Tom Barry. Um, you know, we may have bumped into one another somewhere along the lines. You know, while we were uh, sipping our tea and uh, waving <laughs> our uh, yellow flag. Um, but you know, here's where my concern is, uh, someone who I respect, and I think you respect, um, served on a committee with him and only real feedback I can have oh, yeah. is from people who I know directly. And they, they served on a committee and it was, you know, regarding charter home rule in Washington County and regardless mm-hmm. of what side you, you sit on. Uh, but you know, I, I deeply respect this person. I don't. 100% agree with his uh, opinions all the time, but yeah. I deeply respect him. And the and his viewpoint, and he he phrased it up since you know he was there merely to function as an obstructionist. Now, what we do not need uh, within this nominating committee, nor for the person who is nominated and appointed by the governor, what we do not need is someone who is an obstructionist. We need someone who needs to listen and hear from both sides, and A, it shouldn't be partisan, uh, and I think we'll get to that as, we're, as we are doing our discussion. But um, having someone who is very far 
on the scale to the right. And I, I don't mean to disparage him because honestly, if he sat down beside me right now, I probably wouldn't know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that vein, the, the reputation, his reputation precedes him. Um, so that's where my concern is, is that right. it's already shaping up to be very partisan. And I understand this was the delegate's appointment, and we have a very conservative caucus for, that represents Washington County. Um, sure. I don't know if that would have. I, I don't know if that would have changed had uh, Leroy Myers ran for delegate instead of county commissioner this last time. If that would have changed what the appointment was, um, but uh, it's very conservative, and that's sort of the tone that we're we're going to get. Hopefully, you know, it's not a massive distraction because they need to focus on what's important to this county uh, school system. And get someone in there who is willing to work and listen to everybody else. I agree. And look, we knew that if Neil Parrott had an opportunity to, I guess, uh, persuade the school board in some way to influence the decision-making process, he's going to he is going he would have the opportunity to, as the the chairman of the uh, Washington County delegation, to appoint someone that is going to pretty much mirror his own politics. And that person is, of course, Tom Barry. And Tom Barry is a very conservative choice. Um, And then what else happened that I think was a borderline travesty was when the commissioners unanimously appointed the chairman of the Washington County Republican Party, or excuse me, of of the Central Committee, Jerry DeWolf, who has no experience well, in let, education. Let, 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 let's Go come ahead. back to Jerry. Okay. Uh, and let's, 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 let's talk about the ones that were actually appointed. And in regards oh, sure. to uh, Neil and, of course, Bill Weibel, who was appointed to fulfill uh, Senator Serafini's seat, um, in regards to, to – they are both extremely conservative, and I respect that. They, you know, Neil won the popular vote. He – he he's representing the people, and that's mm-hmm. what the people voted on. So he's entitled to offer up his opinion, and maybe with some lobbying, maybe some arm twisting, but uh, that he's representing the people. And you know, I agree with a lot of Neil's politics, but I also mm-hmm. realize that when we sit down in a room, we have to have a civil discussion. And I'm not saying that Neil or Bill Wife or anyone else doesn't have that, uh, but. We need to have a, a civil discussion and hear the entire story without a predisposition walking into the room uh, mm-hmm. because politics, unfortunately, is an art of compromise, and you, you achieve as much as you can that fulfills your goals and aspirations. But occasionally you have to give away a little to get a little bit more for your side. Right. Uh, so, okay, let's uh, – if we tick down, um, we have – Let's see. Tom Newcomer. Yeah, is good choice. The, the one that, that okay. Tom, Tom's a solid individual. I've known him for a few years. Um, I think he, he's going to be a, a you know a fair fair uh, processor of the the applications, and you know he, he'll do well. So, uh, who else? There was then the commissioners. Let's picked see. Three. We have the the commissioners three. Um, were let's see, uh, Rudy Crumpy, 
uh, Jennifer Ashball, who's a northern uh, middle school teacher, and Hal Spielman, who's the mayor of Sharpsburg. Uh, I know Rudy Crumpy. What's missing from all of this? Come on. Well, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today. We, Washington County Board, when when we were running for office, one of the big concerns that they had was we're not a very uh, diverse school system. Bingo. Yep. And when I when I sit and I look at this list, and I don't know who would have been the ideal individual to step into this role, okay? But it would have been nice if we would have had uh, a minority uh, stepping into this role, just to allow a little bit more inclusiveness to the community and listen what's going on. Uh, right. And you know, I know we do. I, I know we have uh, Jennifer Ashball. Okay, she's. Uh, obviously female. She's the middle school teacher representing the school system, uh, the educational side. Um, that I don't know her very well. Maybe I bump into her once or twice, but I think she's fine. Um, I think she'll provide a, a, a good guiding light there, but I'm wondering why we didn't find somebody else to fulfill other roles. Um, Rudy Crumpy, is, I think he – I've been – Involved in meetings with him in the past, he is a very uh, thorough processor of the facts. He will listen there. He will digest the information in front of him, and he will form his opinion and conclusion. So I think he's a solid pick. Uh, Moving down the list, let's see who else we have here. I'm just trying to scroll through the article. Oh, no, we have um, Hal Spielman, the former mayor of uh, Sharpsburg, you know, a Republican. I don't know too much about him. But – and then, you, like you said, you had Jennifer Ashball. By the way, incidentally, Henry, she served as the uh, the campaign treasurer to Dottie Groller when she ran for the Board of Education. So you know where that she stands, and she was big into the Gasford, Melissa Williams, Karen Harshman camp. Um, and you know, being that the she's the only female on the committee, um, and then the photograph that I took at the the first meeting was on a, a last Friday, uh, Henry. It was a bunch of old white guys and one desperately partisan um, <laughs> guy in his thirties sitting around a table. And it, you know, I made a, co- a comment on Facebook. You know, look at this, look at the diversity in this picture. Where is someone from the African American community? Who, so, so are you people. calling Peter Big- Bigford an old white guy? No, I'm not calling him an old white guy. I'm saying that the photograph clearly is indicative of a lack of diversity. Education is not okay. just for conservative Republicans in Washington County. Yes, they control most of the offices, but where was someone that was central to the city of Hagerstown that is a minority? Where is someone in the Latino community? Where is someone that is not involved directly with you know, Dottie Gruller, Karen, Karen Harshman, Melissa Williams? These are things that you have to look for in a public education system. I'm sorry, but the selection committee... Is not holistically well, I mean, representative. Let's think about where her appointment came from. She is the representative of 
the employees of the school system. So more than likely that she was nominated potentially by the Washington County Teachers Union. Yeah, sure. I mean, plausible. Okay, so that that is one. As I said, that was one concern: is that we it's not very diverse. Um, Who who would I take out of that mix? I (laughs) I don't know because I mean it's not fair for me to say, oh well, this individual is this individual. Yeah. Because the the people who made these decisions. made the decisions and they have more knowledge, you know, maybe it's someone who's just saying, Hey, I want to do this. And they mm-hmm. called up a friend and they, and they were put forward. Um, you know, as I said, I think Tom Newcomer was a solid, I think I Rudy Crumpy was a solid pick. Um, I mean, I know both of those individuals um, re- regarding Mr. Barry. I don't really know him well enough. Uh, you know, I know, he, I just know of him and I'm concerned with, potential polarization the mayor of uh sharpsburg i again i don't know yeah. um but uh, i know you know i imagine that he's a fairly conservative individual that's what my guess would be and then you know if we move to the next one that you were you had previously mentioned jerry DeWolf. yeah the 500 pound elephant no pun intended <laughs> Yeah, well, let, let me tell you the story when – and you know this, and we've talked about it. Uh, mm-hmm. When I ran for office, I put my name because I saw that there was an opening on the Republican Central Committee. I put my name in for both that and the Washington County Board of Education. You did. I immediately received a phone call, and I won't mention who it, who it came from, uh, but I immediately received a phone call saying – you need to decide because the purpose of the board of education is to be nonpartisan. Right. You need to decide if you want to be on the central committee. Fantastic. Do it. If you want to be on the school board, fantastic. Do it. There's nothing in the law precluding you from serving on both. The spirit of support needs to be across the aisle. And by their, their thought was by me saying, Hey, I want to be on, the Republican Central Committee, that I was going to go in with a completely partisan agenda serving on the school board. Um, so that's where I'm, I'm sort of laying the groundwork. There's nothing against Jerry DeWolf in this, okay? I don't care if um, the individual was Ryan Miner, who was in charge <laughs> of the Republican Central Committee, which I know is not going to happen. Um, you don't live in Washington County, so you can stop laughing. <laughs> but if if you were there, it would not be appropriate for you to be in that role because of <laughs> all the races. That it, it, it truly is a nonpartisan office that we're looking at. So that's where I sort of have – and I know he is there for a tiebreaker and essentially be a facilitator. Mm-hmm. But is that the is that the image that we want portrayed to the community? And in this role, that this would have been the ideal role for someone who is in the quote minority. Uh, we have a lot of respected individuals in our community. I'm not again. I won't throw out names that could have fulfilled that checkbox on 
and say, hey, we have Dr. So-and-so, or we have Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so that could represent. And I, you know, There's lots of names that could be thrown out there. That would be perfect to balance this off. And then, it would, A, it's a respected position uh, being sort of the chairman of, of or chairperson of the committee. But then it doesn't become so, so divisive from one party to another party. And I, I'm, I'm concerned about the image it portrays. And, again, this isn't a slam against Jerry DeWolf. Uh, you know, he, he was entitled to put his name forward just as well as everybody else was. But this is this is a slam. I just don't think it's appropriate. Well, you have the the, the president of a very partisan group as or the chairman, I should say, now leading the the, the nonpartisan school board commission selection panel, and we all know how this happened, Henry. Let's not mince words. The former campaign manager to Terry Baker, who is the top vote getter in Washington County, he served Jerry served as his congressional campaign manager, and we know why right. Jerry's in this position. Um, it, one, his ties to Baker. Number two, um, uh, there could be an open vacancy in Washington County um, soon on the Central Committee. All these commission, you know, these commissioners have political interests. So should Terry Baker? You know, there's this thing going on up in Allegheny County, and I'm going to mention this parenthetically real quick that the um, the Register of Wills, her name is Rebecca Drew, is reportedly under investigation for mismanagement, incompetence in her office. And apparently it's being worked out that she's going to step aside and resign from her office as the Register of Wills. Point one. Point two is her replacement process, which is handed over to in Allegheny County to the judge, three judges of the Orphan's Court. Point three is that Mike McKay, who is a current delegate in District 1C, his district includes a wide swath of Allegheny County, starting in Cumberland, South Cumberland, all the way down to Williamsport, Maryland. Um, big district. And it, it looks like that McKay has the inside track to being appointed to fill the Register of Wills position. So that ultimately would – if all of this goes as according to plan or as what people are telling me um, is that that would in turn create a vacancy for McKay's seat in District 1C. So then you have who would put in for District 1C? Well, in Allegheny County, you would have one person, Jake Shade, who is a county commissioner, a young guy, um, be a great choice. And then in Washington County, you have several names, Henry. You have – uh, uh, who lives in District 1. Jeff Klein. Uh, well, maybe. Jeff Klein lives in District 1C, but Jeff Klein, um, he has some family commitments that I think would preclude him, at least, which, you know, and, and I don't want to... Jeff and I have had off-the-record conversations, but um, my understanding is Jeff Klein, he has an elderly father who lives at, in Williamsport, and Jeff and him, he, Jeff helps his dad out a lot, and I think that would make um, it much more difficult for Jeff um, to become a state delegate and spend four months out of the year in Annapolis. So, but then you, of course, you would have Terry Baker, you have John Barr, um, and then you have Leroy Myers' uh, his spouse, Nicole Myers, who is a former Cumberland City Councilwoman and who has indicated that she will be running for District 1C. 
And it would be up to the respective Republican Central Committees in each of the counties in Allegheny and in Washington to choose which names that they would send down to the governor to select. So I could see that in Washington County you would have Terry Baker um, being selected, and then maybe even up in Allegheny County they would select Terry Baker. He's a known entity. He ran for Congress, plus his former congressional campaign manager – he just gave this um, nice little topping on a platter that he made him the school board nominating chairman, commission chairman. So all of this looks um, pretty predictable about what's going to happen. And I say this parenthetically to give you some background. So DeWolf being in this position, he's a partisan. He viciously attacked Donna Brightman through – a campaign Facebook page that you're probably familiar with. It was called Liberate the Washington County Board of Education, and DeWolf himself admitted later that he was the person behind this on his public Facebook page, and I have the screenshots. He attacked me on it, you know, saying that I had colluded with – he said I had colluded with Bruce Poole and the Maryland Democratic Party to oust Woody Spong, and I say that, the late Woody Spong. We're not going to speak ill of – are departed. Um, that's not what we do here on a minor detail. Um, but he made all these just just ridiculous accusations that weren't true, that was completely unverifiable. Um, and so Jerry DeWolf is now leading this committee. They viciously attacked Donna Brightman. And I would think that the commissioners would have thought, who can we pick that would be a bipartisan choice that would even present the <laughs> – the image of fairness. And Jerry DeWolf in his opening comment made a, basically said that, hey, the county is conservative. Um, we saw that the way that the school board changed last election. So we're not going to – you know, let's not mince words. We're going to pick someone who is a hardcore Republican fiscal conservative, and then you have commissioners Wayne Kiefer and Terry Baker showing up to the Republican Central Committee dinner that featured Trump – campaign aide uh, David Bossy, um, yeah, at, at Fountainhead Country Club, where people, multiple people, had reported back to me, Henry, that they're out pushing Linda Murray's candidacy. Linda Murray, of course, ran for Board of Education last time. Uh, she came in what was it, sixth place behind Donna Brightman, and then number seven, of course, was Al Martin. And you have Wayne Kiefer, and Terry Baker reportedly pushing her candidacy to people. Wayne Kiefer actually donated. He was the only can he was the only Linda Murray was the only candidate Wayne Kiefer personally donated money from his own pocket to her campaign account. Then they deny it because I called them on it. Then they start to refuse to answer my questions. These are serious questions we have to ask. And so Well, and, let me let me give you some insight. Um Okay. On election night, okay, and I share with you. Oh yeah, share this good. with you privately, okay. Um, now, you, you know we have different thing, different opinions of who should have been in the White House, okay. You, you didn't think that either Hillary or Trump should be in the White House, and no. I, I can respect you having your own opinion. I was right. a Trump supporter. I right. went to the Republican uh, get together for election night. Because I, you know, support the Republican agenda. Um, when the announcement was made regarding Board of Education, now 
finished in sixth place. Or, or if, yeah, yeah, it was sixth place. Was actually celebrating because of someone else was defeated. Okay, Linda Murray actually started hooting and hollering about, oh, oh, great, she's she's gone, she's gone, she's gone, and you know, essentially high fiving a room. And you're talking about, you know, and just so we're clear, Henry. You're talking about on the night of the election, November 8th, 2016, you went to a Republican event that was a, a watch party, if you will. And yeah, a former, watch party. former school board. And where was this? Where did this take place? Uh, this took place at the Ramada over on the dual highway. And so the Ramada. The, okay. Okay. And I understand that, you know, Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I, I understand Jerry DeWolf had his opinion regarding uh, Donna Brightman, as did many others in, in the Republican um, management team. Let's, let's use that term. Um, right. And they, they desire for her to leave. I can respect that they have that opinion. I got to know Donna a little differently because I ran for office. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I think you did too. I I had a different found a newfound respect because it's not partisan. Okay, we weren't deciding, you know, whether we're going to fund Planned Parenthood. We're deciding whether the kids are going to have textbooks that don't fall apart. We're deciding right. whether there's going to be a new roof put on top of a of a school that is potentially ha- has a leak. We're deciding upon how much, how the pension plan is going to be and what type of salaries are we going to compensate all the employees with. Those are the decisions of the school board. Right. And I thought she, w- she was a decent and she did a respectful job there. Um, it was an unfortunate event, okay, when there was a statement made to her which I felt was inappropriate. I wasn't there. I can't say whether it was said or it wasn't said. I'm not going to revisit that. But yeah. when you when you celebrate the defeat of somebody, um, and you have the L attached to your name, but you're still celebrating the defeat of that into you know the, you're celebrating the L means someone, loser. Someone loser. Yes. Okay. So Linda Murray lost, but she was doing cartwheels in the room because. Donna Brightman lost. I well, I just find that I'm sorry. I don't think that is a quality that I would want to see in, in an elected official. So you and in I closed had doors? this conversation. You, you and I had this Sorry. conversation offline, and you know I've and I don't relay private conversations on you know in any sort of way unless. Yeah, it's just it's not something I do. It's not respectable. It's not quality, and it would betray your confidence. But you told the story tonight in which you attended a Republican event on the night of the uh, the presidential election, in which Linda Murray openly and ostentatiously and perhaps maybe egregiously celebrated the loss of Donna Brightman that night when she herself had lost the election. And you said that she expressed herself in a way that you thought was inappropriate for the position in which she was seeking. And so 
that is that to me says a lot of things. Um, you know, it's I, I have my opinion. Well, I'll on, also let 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 let's add in that subsequent to that, she is now the treasurer for the Washington County Republican Club. She is, or not treasurer. And, she is a secretary. Mm. Uh, so and, she's serving on the board of the local Washington County Re- Republican Club as, as secretary. So she's tied um, in to the Republican apparatus, meaning that she probably works hand in hand with Jerry DeWolf because the Central Committee and the Republican Club, although they're separate entities, they still work together. They <laughs> they coordinate together, right. and it's um, they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, they exist together. Um, but but so, that's also true of the Democratic Central Committee and, and their various iterations in the community. They they try right. they try to work, and that's fine. Uh, but when we're looking at a nonpartisan position, and then we have so much of a rallying cry, and it was you know, I, I think you know most of the uh, distaste for Donna Brightman I think reflects upon uh, the Woody Spong. Uh, situation. Yeah, and, and now that he has passed and, along, do you think that that's going to be? I, and I, I'm not going to disparage, you know, either, no. either individual in this, but they, you know, this is this is where it came out from. So where, but we're moving forward. So we're looking at potential people to fill. I would really sure. be concerned if Linda Murray's name came out with a recommendation from the committee. Uh, I would not. I'm not going to be surprised if it comes out. Well, there's one of three, so she would be one of three. Correct, and there's eight names that were put in. We don't know the eight names as of yet. Uh, we will tomorrow. You know, correct. So, you know, of the couple individuals that ran last time, uh, I'm not sure whether uh, Donna Brightman put her name in. I I had heard that she okay. didn't have the intent intent to do so. Uh, based upon the committee makeup, I would be surprised if she did. Um, if she did, she certainly is worthy of consideration, but I don't know how far that will go. Uh, Al Martin, I think he was contemplating putting his name in, and he Good. was the other individual that um, – but it, I didn't hear anything direct. I just heard you know, somebody told somebody told somebody, and that doesn't mean anything. It's all supposition. Um, but – you know, he would be a, a good consideration for that. The other names, I, I really don't know. I mean, you, you asked me directly, did I put my name in? I, I told you straight out no. Um, you know, there's other individuals in the community. I'm not sure how they're – whoever gets nominated is going to be a, a, a conservative. I'm just concerned how closely that conservative uh, is associated with the – Local Republican apparatus because we're looking at nonpartisan. Uh, well, H- you know, Henry, to, I, I, to serve. Listen, I know who I want to be picked, and it's that's not. I don't. I don't. I don't think anybody listening to this show cares about who I personally would prefer. I don't live in the county anymore, as people love to call out. Um, in fact, I had Barbara Hovermill come up to me and. Uh, during the um, the first meeting, and I recorded the meeting between the, the committee. She's like, well, Ryan, you don't have to worry about any of this because you don't live in the county, and that's true. Um, so why do you care? 
well, I do. I, I cover Washington County politics, and uh, I blog about it. I write about it. Okay, so I mean, I see their point. I don't think that it's a, I don't think that it's a completely ridiculous point. But nobody really cares about who I would like to see selected. I've probably told people that Al Martin is high on my list because I think that he would be a responsible choice to put into that seat given his years of experience. Um, he is a registered Republican. Um, and he is a responsible, pragmatic, and convincingly honest person who has served his community well. He ran last time. Yes, he was defeated. Um, and I yeah, as a first-time candidate, uh, but he would be the most responsible person that is worthy, as the Herald Mail said today, of the public's trust. Now, do I think that he's going to ultimately be appointed? No, and for all the reasons that we just discussed, because I think that the Republican Party in Washington County feels like that they have a mandate to do whatever it is that they want to do, and they will argue that we will need a fiscal conservative. I don't even sure. I'm not even sure what the hell that even means. So, does that mean that they're going to ask them questions? Would you have supported the downtown hack academic hub? And if the answer is yes, they will be eliminated. Do you support BISFA? And if they say yes, then they're going to ask them. They're going to probably ask them why and go into all the reasons. And they're going to ask them other questions that are going to be pointedly partisan. That's my opinion. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but Henry, would we be considered non-fiscal conservatives when you and I went out and said that we don't support Common Core? We believe the taxpayers have a have a clear stake in the in the in the in the, op, in the school board system in the system that that we, taxpayer dollars fund. But you know, if we support certain education initiatives in Washington County, like the Tech Plan. Um, iPads and various other elements that Dr. Wilcox had put into effect, would we be labeled well, as you know, fiscally irresponsible when the, the school system itself, you know, when Mr. South um, had had proposed all of these budgetary items and showed factually how this is going to improve the school's curriculum? So what is it that Mr. DeWolf and some of these other folks do they truly understand the education process? I mean, do they understand the budget? Because the last time Jerry and Dwarf and I had a discussion, he didn't even understand that there was four separate budgets in Washington County public schools. He didn't understand how policy is written. He didn't understand the true role of the, of the school board. He just wants somebody that's a Republican in that seat for the sake of calling them a Republican. That's a travesty. To education in the well, public let me let, let me go 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 for okay on a conservative note um you remember how much it cost to build a high school from design to putting the vinyl brick in place so i think between splitting the cost between locally and the state it was we're hovering around the figure of 80 million dollars okay and do you remember what the cost of doing a downtown academic hub it's supposed to um, oh, what was it? It was between what ten and fifteen million. Okay, so to handle the same volume of students, because those students could be, you know, relocated from the all the outlying high schools um, to gain an advantage of 
a better tailored education system specifically to where their interests are. Uh, and taking education out of the 1800s and bring it into a new millennium with a downtown academic hub, and we can deliver that for one-sixth of the cost of a brand-new building. <laughs> okay. Tim, uh, no, that's not fiscally conservative. Okay. Opposing uh, the ability of the Board of Education to levy a tax to subsidize their budget. No, that's not fiscally conservative. Um, wanting to keep a, a watchdog eye on how the budget is spent and understanding that within that budget, there are expenses. The, the expenses that the teachers have or the, the board has purview of, the, the real money there is a very small percentage of what the county actually functions off of. When, when you're all said and done, there are fixed expenses in this county that – no one on the board of ed really can touch because those, you know, for maintenance, for salaries, for everything else, they're kind of dictated by the federal government, the state right. government. So you're you're obligated to them, and unless you actually start to peel the, you know, take the budget and scrutinize what's going on, and then ask questions, which you did and I did during our run for office, unless you actually start to peel the pages back. You're only glancing over, oh, I'm looking at the cover page. If we look at what we are spending on a per-student basis in, in this county, you have to realize there's not a lot of flexibility on that money that's spent on a per-student basis to reduce what the cost of education is in this community. Right. I mean it's what the 15%. You have to understand that the pension plan that, that we have uh, and that is funded is – all those expenses were passed down to the Board of Education from the state under the O'Malley administration. Yeah. But no, no one wants to dig into that. Well, no, uh, they, so they, they, they want to do the 30,000-foot view. Pardon? <laughs> and, that's, and that's not fair because if someone who is in charge of the school board nominating commission that doesn't fundamentally understand what what it is and who it is, if, you know, I'm just – I'm 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 convinced. Well, that it, you know, it, let, let's use I, okay two two of the members that we're both in, in, in favor of, uh, talked about Rudy Crumpy and mm -hmm. uh, Tom Newcomer. Both of them yeah. are business owners in our community. Okay, they know what it is to have a budget. Okay, Crumpy's namesake, Crumpy's Donuts. Um, if we went in there and we told Rudy that the only place that you can make in any changes is in the last 10 percent of your cost mm -hmm. he would pull his hair out okay but that's <laughs> yeah. essentially what you're dealing with when you're dealing with the board of education um and this is a lot big and that's why i'm i'm more comfortable with someone like al martin who has been in uh public government um finance administration okay his work puts him in a really good position because our county school system is headed for a tough financial position, and his his work puts him in a, a great situation that they could be planning, you know, five, ten years, twenty years out on how to address the growth of the county, but also the the function of where the dollars are spent and how to maximize that dollars power in today's dollars rather than for ten years where that 
dollar today it's only cost us one dollar but in you know 10 or 20 years it's going to cost us a buck 25 to a buck 50. so that's why i'm comfortable with with an individual like that we have you know we we have good representation for people who formerly worked in or at wcps okay you have melissa williams and salfer um jackie fisher Mm-hmm. Am I missing anyone who? Oh, Wayne Ryan an hour. Uh, am I missing anyone on that list that had previously been employed by WCPS? Um, Peter well, Bickford, and then you have uh, Michael Gusford. So right. that's, so, that's covered. So <laughs> we we have people who have been in the system. Okay, we have. So they they understand a little bit, but they. Un, their 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 grasp of the system really is focused on teachers and it's broadened as they as they continue to serve. Okay. Right. And so, we've seen this from other Go ahead. So Henry, bottom line, the committee's gonna meet, they're gonna have a public forum uh sometime this week. They're gonna talk about they're they're gonna allow people to step up and, and and I mean once we see the names, that'll give us a better indication. And you know, I, I intend to fully report on that. So I just have a, a feeling that you and I both know what I think is going to happen. Now, they could surprise us, but it's ultimately up to the commissioners to decide. So they can select three different names that are completely random or alphabetized, and then the commissioners have to decide who to pick. And we know we're not quite sure what we're getting with the commissioners. And you know, we, you know, I, I have a better sense of what Leroy Myers and what John Barr would do, and I have a better sense of what Wayne Kiefer and Terry Baker are going to do. So the swing vote, of course, is Jeff Klein. And I think that Klein, I don't know where Klein was go- is going to come down on this, but I mean, Henry, they could select three different people, but we're at a disadvantage here because we know where Terry Baker and Wayne Kiefer are going to go. And we know, and we have sort of an idea of where the other two are going to go. So it just depends on what Mr. Klein will do. And I'm not that's I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing, but I'm well, just hoping that they what pick... you remember what you threw in earlier in our conversation regarding Red Store Wills and yeah, uh, Allegheny County, and then you started to you know tie the strings together. Now, if that creates a vacancy, and, you know, I'm not going to speak for Commissioner Klein, uh, but he would be certainly a viable person who could fulfill the role as a state delegate. Uh, He is well-known throughout the community, you know, just that anyone in the community has had a selfie with him at some point in time. so him or in regards to uh, Leroy Meyer's wife, um, how does that play out? But it's really where it, – because that could have a tie-in if Commissioner Klein's thinking about throwing his hat into the ring for the nominating process. Um, he might be swayed by where the – Central Committee's positioning is on this. Mm-hmm. 
which means that you could, you know, and we, we I think we both agree what name what names almost a slam dunk coming out of committee and likely will get uh, approved, which uh, bothers me. Um, so that's where I'm really concerned is how how do all the strings play in the in the back room? Well, they're certainly <laughs> they're certainly letting down the string. They we we have an idea of where this committee is going to go, and that's the point of our discussion tonight. We put together the pieces, we gave you the information, and our you know look, you and I are commentating. We're uh, observers of the process. Um, we're I, I don't even know if I don't know what's going to happen, but there's going to be a public forum, and we're going to do our best to cover this in this event. So, um, you know, and Henry, you and I are going to cover this. Once again, when we figure out who all the names are and then the process moving forward, but it's likely to develop quickly. So we're going to keep you, the listeners, in the loop. Um, the newspaper has covered this. They wrote an editorial today saying that they, whomever the commissioners ultimately pick or the committee picks, that they need to be worthy of the public's trust. And that is exactly true. But this still lies in the commissioner's hands. And whomever is chosen, it's still going to be reflective of the upcoming election and partisan politics and positioning for for somebody else's um, political future. And that to me says that public education is still lost in Washington County on how certain people are maneuvering themselves for higher office or a, you know, a lateral move, a horizontal move. I don't know. But Henry, let's hope, let's hope, I'm going to give the committee the benefit of the doubt because we haven't seen um, them in action. We don't know the candidates yet, but we're, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they can do the right thing and pick the most responsible person um, for this position. Wouldn't you agree? I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I mean, I know how I feel about, you know, at least a couple of names without knowing the other names that were put in. Um <clears throat> You know, we we can talk about that here in a, a few days after you, you sort of get an idea. But uh, you know, the bottom line, we don't need partisan politics to control the local school board. We yeah. need the individual to come in devoid of that, and also not necessarily le- leaving with the committee's endorsement. Uh, have any of that tarring on them that it was a partisan decision that was turned over to the county commissioners to make their pick. Right. Uh, right. And th- that's, that's really, you know, they, the, the committee has a, a, a big task ahead of them. Um, you know, I, I hope that they can set, set aside their partisan attitude as they, as they move forward and, you know, do what's in the best interest of the kids in Washington County. Yeah. Well, Henry, you're a stand-up guy. I always appreciate your opinion, and I am happy that you joined me for an hour tonight. Um, so with that, we'll wrap up the show. Um, you can find us on the web at aminordetail.com on Blog Talk Radio at blogtalkradio.com slash aminordetail. Henry, Henry House and I, we will have you covered on all things of the – Washington County School Board Nominating Commission, and uh, we'll we'll touch back here soon uh, with <laughs> what's going on with the names and how this process is 
set to unwind. I know the newspaper will be covering this too. So, Henry, I really appreciate you coming on and being part of the show. Well, Brian, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, anytime. You have a good one tonight. All right, Henry, you have a great week, and thanks so much. So with that, um, we're going to wrap up the show. I appreciate the listening, um, our listeners. Um, I'm a little out of it tonight. <laughs> I am, I'm tired. I, I apologize. I, uh, I, I discovered that I have this thing called the gout. Um, and yeah, it's embarrassing, but I'm going to just tell everybody I had this immense pain in my left toe. So I apparently have all the symptoms of a gout. And according to all the medical experts that I solicited, um, beyond WebMD, I have, the freaking gout. So I am taking pain medication um, responsibly, I want to uh, to intimate. Um, so here I am drinking my cherry juice and my water and uh, my ibuprofen. So I'm in a world of pain right now. So I'm going to wrap up this show. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're here every Sunday night at 9 o'clock p.m. on a minor detail. Have a great night.